morning. And as you see, we're laid out slightly different. We've got George with us, and George is going to be speaking to us later, and he's going to be singing and leading some singing as well. Hence the different um, my, um, stands here. And also, we've got uh, this one here, which is the phone which is recording the service for those at home. So, um, before we start, I'd like to read a psalm, and it's Psalm 96. If you want to turn to it, it's in the Pew Bibles, and it's on page 424, if you've got one of the Bibles on the seat. And it's Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the nations are idols. But the Lord made the heavens splendour and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O family of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. And all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. They will sing before the Lord for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his truth. Shall we pray? Father, we just thank you for the fact that we can gather here in your house. We thank you that you are here in our presence so that we can have this freedom to enjoy this time of fellowship together as we can sing your praise, as we can gather around your word and as we can listen to your word being revealed to us. We just pray that we be with George as he speaks later and opens up your word for us to take in that we might be blessed by it. That we might go from here knowing that we've been with you in your house. Our Father, we just would remember those who are in places where there's great hostility towards the gospel. Places where people will need to meet together in secret and fear of the authorities. Those who will not have copies of your word. And what copies they do have will have to be hidden away from others. Our Father, we live in a world that is a sinful world. Sometimes we... Because we live here, we maybe don't feel the pressures that are on those who love you and trust you and who are living in difficult circumstances and situations. But we ask that you bless them as well, as they are witnesses for you. And we pray for those who would have a desire to persecute them, that you might open their hearts to the truth of your word. Father, we pray for those who might not be here with us this morning, who might be away. And wherever they are, we ask your continued blessing upon them. We think of those at home and we pray for them. And as they listen to this, we pray that they too might feel your presence because you are there with them as you are here with us this morning. So, our Father, we just ask your blessing upon this time that, yes, we might be 
encouraged, maybe even challenged. But Lord, we know that through it, your name will be praised. And we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Great. Well, we're going to stand and sing together. And our first hymn is hymn number 50. And um, it's Be Still for the Presence of the Lord. The Holy One is here. So let's um, stand and sing together. Number 50.
there's no uh, Friday break in toddler, as you know, and there's no kids club this week because of uh, the summer holidays, but they will resume back in September. Um, it's good to have George with us this morning, and uh, George is going to bring God's word to us, and he's also going to do some singing, and I think you might also be encouraged to sing along as well, because I've got some sheets here that George has brought along, and you're all going to get one, so when we give them out later, if you get missed and you don't get one, just don't just put your hand up, just shout out, hey, I've got one, okay, we'll know what to do, we're going to give you one, they'll be given out shortly. What we're going to do, we're going to sing another hymn now, and we're going to sing hymn number 760, when we walk with the Lord. And the song that we uh, read this morning was about singing. And it's also about walking with the Lord. And uh, do you ever sing while you're walking? Do you get embarrassed? <laughs> uh, sing when you're driving, you know. And uh, you, you stop at the lights and you realise you've got your window down and you sing on the way. You know, you shouldn't be embarrassed. It's good to do that. You've been given a gift of song. You should use it, use it to God's glory. So let's stand and sing to 716. If you wonder why I move away from the mic, it's because I've got a lousy voice and you don't want to hear it. So uh, 716, 716.
Great, you seem to be really good, and uh, we're going to have some choruses now. Now, um, we've just got Renee with us, so we're going to see if she comes to the front and uh, we'll do these choruses together. So, Matthew, do you want to lead the choruses?
Ah, Jackie, don't go away. Uh, you can give any more, please. <laughs> you looked as though I was going to ask you to do something really difficult. Uh, I'll keep on. Okay. And what have you given out? Right, um, what's going to happen now is um, Phyllis is going to come and read to us and she's going to read from uh, 2 Kings chapter 5 and then when Phyllis is read I'm going to ask George and Derek to come forward and then I'm going to leave everything to them to do what they're going to do. Uh, part of it I think will be a song, singing, I don't know yet and then George is going to speak to us from the passage that Phyllis is going to read and then George, I think, is going to sing again at the end. Is that right, George? Yep. Great. And uh, what we'll do is, if Phyllis, you come and read, and you stand here to read. That'll be great. Okay, the, the reading is Second Kings, chapter 5, verses 1 to 14. 2 Kings, chapter 5, verses 1 to 14. The title is Naaman is Cured. On page 262 in the Pew Bible. 262 in the Pew Bible. 262. Sorry, what chapter is that? Chapter 5. Naaman, the commander of the Syrian army, was highly respected and esteemed by the king of Syria, because through Naaman the Lord had given victory to the Syrian forces. He was a great soldier, but he suffered from a dreaded skin disease. In one of their raids against Israel, the Syrians had carried off a little Israelite girl who became a servant of Naaman's wife. One day she said to her mistress, I wish that my master could go to the prophet who lives in Samaria. He would cure him of his disease. When Naaman heard of this, he went to the king and told him what the girl had said. The king said, go to the king of Israel and take this letter to him. So Naaman set out, taking 30,000 pieces of silver 6,000 pieces of gold and 10 changes of fine clothes. The letter that he took read, This letter will introduce my officer, Naaman. I want you to cure him of his disease. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and exclaimed, How can the king of Syria expect me to cure this man? Does he think that I am God? with the power of life and death. It's plain that he's trying to start a quarrel with me. When the prophet Elisha heard what was happening, he sent word to the king, why are you so upset? Send the man to me and I'll show him that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariot 
and stopped at the entrance to Elisha's house. Elisha sent a servant out to tell him to go and wash himself seven times in the river Jordan and he would be completely cured of his disease. But Naaman left in a rage saying, I thought that he would at least come out to me, pray to the Lord his God, wave his hand over the diseased spot and cure me. Besides, aren't the rivers of Anna and Parfar back in Damascus better than any river in Israel? I could have washed in them and have been cured. His servants went up to him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something difficult, you would have done it. Now why can't you just wash yourself, as he said, and be cured? So Naaman went down to the Jordan dipped himself in it seven times, as Elisha had instructed, and he was completely cured. His flesh became firm and healthy, like that of a child. Amen. Thanks, Billy. So I'll just move this microphone over here, and you might have to raise it up a bit, George. Right, so it's all going to be. <clears throat> well, it's great to be with you. Hope you can hear me okay. Um, I have to say, I'm not one who would, who would normally uh, be speaking at the front, uh, particularly, but uh, Eddie agreed that I could uh, maybe uh, have a shorter message and do a little bit of singing at the beginning and at the end. I'm a bit more comfortable with that. Um, I did think I'd have a helper with me. Where is he? Come on, Derek. <laughs> so you should have a seat with you um, with some hymns on. I will warn you that uh, I am officially an old fogey now, so the hymns that I tend to pick will be normally really quite old ones. So I hope you know these hymns anyway. Uh, we'll see how we get on. Um, so the first one, uh, you'll see it's uh, down the middle of the, uh, the first side, whichever the first side is. And it's, Come ye that love the Lord and let your joys be known. And it goes on to say, we're marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion. And then we're going to carry on singing to the next chorus you'll see there on the other side. Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion. Uh, Zion, of course, when it talks about that in scripture, that's talking about going home, going to the glory land. Um, so I think uh, we can uh, sing this in our hearts and that's a tremendous thing if we know that we're going to be marching to Zion. So, come ye that love them. I, I suggest we, we sit down now. I'll, I'll probably get you standing up a little bit later on. If that's all right. Okay, Derek? Yeah. Come ye that love the Lord and let your joy be known. Join in a song with sweet accord. Join in Surround the throne. We're marching. 
following Jesus each step of the way which I always associate this with the Billy Graham crusades of old uh, is that fair, fair to say that yeah pretty old one I know that anyway I'm following Jesus and then you'll see on your sheet it goes on uh, oh what a wonderful wonderful day we we'll run straight into that and then uh, heaven came down and glory filled my soul so I'm following Jesus I'm following Jesus one step at a time. I wait for the moment in His love divine. Why think of tomorrow? Just live for today.
Well, I say that, but you have to say a lot of the uh, a lot of the modern hymn writers are actually very, very good, aren't they? When you hear the town end and the Gettys and so on, and you write some wonderful stuff. But it's great to go back to some of the old stuff as well, isn't it? Right, Derek and I will sing uh, this next one uh, for you. Uh, it's a, again a little medley of uh, of three uh, parts of a song, really put together all on the theme of uh, Calvary. <coughs> we start in that one, I think. Okay, me. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Yeah. 
I used to sing a, a lot with uh, my uh, brothers. We called ourselves the Griffith Brothers because we were brothers <laughs> and our name was Griffith. <laughs> Shortened to uh, the GBs as opposed to the BGs. <laughs> so it's good to, good to be singing with Derek anyway. Thank you, Derek. <clears throat> right, we've had our reading, haven't we? Uh, a lovely story, uh, one that you may be well familiar with, the story of Naaman. And it probably speaks for itself largely, doesn't it, really? That uh, tremendous story. Well, I just want to read um, a couple of verses from Philippines right at the beginning. Philippines chapter 2, uh, Philippians rather, chapter 2 uh, and verse 3 says this. Do nothing from selfish, amb selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves. Have this mind among yourselves. Or another translation of that might be, have this attitude among yourselves. Now that word attitude, I have to say, it's, it's a word that does sort of fascinate me to a large extent. Um, partly because uh, I used to work for uh, Customs and Excise and I was a trainer in Customs and Excise. And when we were training, when we were, you know, training people to, to do their job and so on, we used to talk in terms of three things, K-S-A. Um, we used to talk in, t in terms of knowledge, because in order to be able to do your job, then you need the knowledge around that job, don't you? All of the things that you need to know. The S was the skills, the skills that you, have, uh, to, to, you need to be able to do that job as well. <coughs> And then the A was the attitude, the attitude that you need to do that job really, really well. Now, attitude is one of those things that actually your attitude is, is up here, isn't it? Or even in here. It's about your attitude. Now, we can't see what's going on in your head in terms of your attitude. But the way of detecting or maybe getting a clue about somebody's attitude is their behaviour, the things that we see them do, the way that they behave. So we used to talk sometimes rather uh, KSA or KSB around people's behaviours around. And I think that, that uh, little reading that I, I just did then, that, that, that shows us that the Bible actually speaks an awful lot, doesn't it, to our mindset, to how, how we should be thinking about um, our attitude towards the Lord himself, and certainly uh, to, to our, our, um, our friends, our, 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 uh, our loved ones around us, the people in our church, and even those who are, might be regarded as our enemies. So this attitude thing, it does, uh, it, it interests me, it interests me a lot. So again, this well-known story uh, concerning Naaman, I thought we might just explore, just for a few moments, uh, some of the attitudes that we find in this story, in this account in scripture. So we'll, we'll, we'll perhaps just ex explore that. So really simply going through uh, the tale uh, you've heard it read so well uh, by, by Phyllis. Naaman, this guy Naaman, as far as Israel was concerned, as far as the, the children of God were concerned, well, he certainly was public enemy number one. He was, uh, as far as they were concerned, a bad guy because 
scripture tells us there, doesn't it, in the account, that there were raids, there were many raids, or it talks about um, lots of um, uh, raids on, on uh, Israel. Uh, there was more than one, it wasn't just a, a one-off. And we read about this little girl, this little maid, was taken away. So there was lots of different raids. Now, again, the, the scripture tells us, the account tells us, that this great man, because uh, he was well regarded in his own uh, country and by his own king, but he was a leper. Now, I thought it was quite interesting, the, um, the difference in attitudes in terms of someone who was a leper. Because we know from so many stories in Scripture, uh, and, and certainly in the Old Testament, about the attitude of someone to somebody who had uh, leprosy. And basically, it was like uh, in, in Israel, they were outcasts, weren't they? They couldn't be among their family, they couldn't be among their friends. They were literally thrown out of the town and they had to live outside, usually in, in little colonies, I think, as well. So they, they were really, really outcast as a leper. But it didn't seem that that was the case in Syria, where Naaman was from. And um, because, uh, really, we see from the story, when the king learned of this, and when this story comes out about going to see a man uh, of God from Israel, uh, we can see how valuable the king thought that, that Naaman was. So it wasn't a question of him being an outcast. He was uh, trying to do uh, all that he could. Uh, how valuable was he to the king? Well, it talks about him being, uh, I love the uh, term in the authorised version, a mighty man of valour. He, uh, he was a hard knock, was this fellow. He was, he was good. He was really good in his army, you know. But how valuable was he to the king? Well, as we read in the story, when the king finds out that uh, Naaman is going to see this prophet, then he sends all of this stuff with him. He says, I'll do you a letter, letter of introduction if you like, and I'll send all these goods as well so that you can give them as gifts. And we, we're told, aren't we, it was, uh, what was it, in verse five, 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, 10 changes of clothing. Now, when you look at um, the different uh, commentaries about exactly what that would be worth in these days. There's, there's a fair bit of sort of differences in what people um, think it means. But th the bottom line is that it was lots and lots, it was worth an awful lot when you're talking about that amount of gold, that amount of silver and these, cl uh, these uh, clothes as well. And uh, it, it was an awful lot. And the clues there are, are really because um, when we read on in the story, when the king of Israel uh, got the note, how scared he was of, the, uh, of uh, this man turning up um, and of the support that the, the king gave him. That's, that's really a clue in terms of just how valued this man Naaman was um, by uh, his own country, by his own king. So, as we read in the story, uh, the king uh, of Syria gives Naaman this, this letter gives him all of these gifts and says, you go and see that man, go and see the king as well, and uh, tell him, read him this letter, and uh, here's all these gifts that you can give as well. So, <clears throat> when Naaman turns up at the king of Israel, um, at his uh, palace or wherever he lived, 
This is a guy called Joram. It's not uh, told in, the, in this account, is it? But it was somebody called Joram or Jehoram, uh, if, if you read the commentaries. Now, this guy, first of all, what did he do? Well, the answer is he panicked, didn't he? He gets this letter um, and, and it's like, what does he do? He panics because this guy is not a good king. He's not been a good king. This guy really doesn't know God. He doesn't know God and what this God can do. He's got no experience of what God can do. And here's this man turns up on his doorstep with a letter saying, uh, I want you to cure this man of his leprosy. And his first thing is to panic. He doesn't know what, what his God can do, what their God can do. Uh, and he's saying, this man is surely just, this king is just surely trying to pick a fight with me. He wants to start a war or whatever. Um, so that was his, um, his reaction to what was going on. And uh, as we see, that often happens in, in that culture in those days. He rips his clothes, probably sitting on a pile of ashes as well. Rips his clothes because this is our first attitude, perhaps, that we come across this utter attitude of despair. The king of uh, Israel, this Joram, uh, is there, and his attitude, we can see in this story, is certainly one of total despair. So, the story goes on. We've seen the reaction of the king, the king of Israel. Uh, now let's see about this man of God. So when Elisha, uh, this man of God, the word gets back to him about the letter coming to the king and about what, what um, he wants him to do. Uh, Elisha's uh, response is, well, why are you ripping your clothes? Why are you ripping your clothes? What's going on here? Uh, and, and his other words, I think they're very telling. He says, let him come to me. He shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So we've seen the, the king's attitude of utter despair, but here we see this attitude of help, don't we? Because all, all that uh, Elisha wants to do is to help that situation and, and help this man. So we've now switched to this attitude of help. Now, I think it's interesting those words, let him come to me, he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. What a different response. But I think some people might actually think, well, is, is that a bit of a boast? He shall see that there is a prophet in Israel. Well, I certainly don't believe that because um, we, we've seen from many, many um, accounts in Scripture um, that this was not a boast. He was talking about representing uh, God to the people because that was the job of a prophet, wasn't it? Representing God to the people. And then a lot of times we also talk, hear of him representing uh, a, a, a prophet representing the people to God so it wasn't a particular boast he just had that confidence in his God so we've seen that attitude of despair and now we've seen this attitude of help displayed here by Elisha so the story continues on uh, Naaman um, and what happened what was his instructions well I always picture <laughs> I always picture Naaman, uh, sorry, Elisha, sitting in a comfy chair when, when somebody, the servant comes to the door and says, there's a guy here who wants healing, you know. 
and uh, I always pictured him sitting there and just turning around and saying, well, tell him to go and wash in the river seven times, um, and, and then he'll be healed, like, you know, and then he gets on watching EastEnders or Coronation Street or whatever. Um, that's just me. <laughs> but they, basically, he gives him that instruction, and Naaman, well, what's his reaction? We can see clearly from Scripture, he was furious. He was absolutely furious. Because Naaman was seeking some sort of big show. And he says, doesn't he there? He said, I thought he would have at least come, come to the door. He would have prayed over me. He would have waved his hands over me and so on. And what he was looking for was, as I say, some, some big show, some sort of ritual, some sort of ceremony that would then uh, enable him to be cured. Do you know what? There's, there's something I think is really interesting for us even today uh, concerning this. Because when we look at other religions, other cults, other people who are trying to find their way to either their God or whatever they might believe about, about eternity and so on, so often it's about uh, looking for those, um, those rituals, those ceremonies, it's really about things that they can do for themselves. I want to be able to do this, you do this for me, and then I know that I'm going to be, I'm going to find a way to God. But of course, that is not the way, is it? Uh, as we read through and as we see what Scripture teaches, it's not about that at all. It's not about what we do. He just had to obey what Naaman said and then he, uh, what Elisha said and then he would be healed. So there was this amazing indignation on his, his, his part, this ego, this pride. Uh, uh, you know, uh, he, he, he wanted this, uh, this big show, this big ritual, this big ceremony. And you know, that indignation, that pride, that ego, it got in the way of his salvation, didn't it, initially? And he said, I'm not doing that. The rivers in our place are far better than these rivers here. Uh, I'm not going to do that. And he turns around and off he goes. Do you know what? Often barriers, there's barriers like that around indignation, around pride, around the way that we used to do things. Surely that's not right. Uh, this can't be right. Uh, we've never done it that way before. Where, why do we need to change? All of those sorts of things can often get in the way of us or between us and our God, can't they? Certainly that was the case as far as Naaman was concerned. This ego, this pride got in the way. So we also see then, don't we, as well as the attitude of despair that we've seen, the attitude of help that, uh, that Elisha brought, we've seen this attitude of fury, this absolute indignation uh, from Naaman himself uh, because he didn't get what he thought should be the way. But of course, um, he was spoken to, wasn't he, by one of his, uh, his servants, and he said, listen, I always tend to think he's, he said to him something like, you know what, uh, Naaman, if he had said, do something really, really good, really, really great, go and win a war, go and win a battle, do something like that, he'd have probably done it, wouldn't you? Well, yeah, yeah, would have done. And he probably could have done it easily as well. Well, why not just try this thing? Why not just do it, you know? So again, you know, common sense comes and this attitude of fury then gave way to an attitude of humility 
whereby he says, okay, I will go and I will wash in the river seven times. I don't know where, what you've been taught. I've always been taught, although I think scripture is silent on it. Um, I always tend to believe that that leprosy didn't go. It wasn't an incremental thing, like a little bit better each time he dipped in. I always think it was that last time that there was that miraculous cure of Naaman's leprosy as he, as he came out of that. So that attitude of fury then gave way to this attitude of humility. And then he did as he was, he was asked. And he was saved, in effect. Okay, now one of the bits that I've missed out of the story so far is the beginning of the account. And you might say the most important bit, um, where it says that there were bands of people that went into uh, Israel, all these raids on Israel, and then uh, by, the, by the Syrians, and they took basically what they want, including this young girl, took it back to Syria. They just, they just brought back what they want. And incidentally, it's very interesting to notice in verse 1, it says words to the effect of, uh, depending on what, um, what uh, type, which Bible you read in, the Lord, in verse 1, it says, the Lord had given victory to Syria. So it's interesting, isn't it, that God's hand was in all of this. And even though that might have seemed awful and really traumatic, a horrible thing at the time for the people of Israel, yet we can see God's providence in this. He has, he's in control and he's got a reason for all this. That's very interesting, that, isn't it? So we then read in verse 3, um, and this little girl says something like, if only my master uh, would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would heal him of his leprosy. If only my master were with the prophet in Samaria, he would heal him of his leprosy. Can you note the, in, in, in her words there, there was this, this, this lovely uh, sort of tone of pleading, you know, if only you would go and see him, then he would be healed. And there's also this note, this tone of surety as well. It's not a question of, uh, if only you would go and see this prophet, then you know what, he might just be able to do something about this leprosy. No, no question about that. She was sure, she was sure in her God. Now then, in the situation that she was in, she would have been dragged away from her homeland, from her family probably, dragged away to this far, foreign land, put to work in somebody's household and so on. Who would blame this little girl if she thought when Naaman got the leprosy, well, doesn't that just serve him right? It really does serve him right. You know, you've dragged me here, you've uh, done all of this to our land and, and all of our peoples, it really does serve you right. You know, get on with it, Naaman. Uh, not many of us would have blamed her for an attitude like that. But what did we see instead? We saw this wonderful attitude of compassion and mercy where she was pleading with her, her, her mistress to tell, tell the, uh, her master, shall we say, uh, if only he would go and see uh, this prophet in Israel and he's the one that could heal him. 
And you know what? There was no bartering there, was there? There was no, no question of, do you know what? Um, if, if you were to uh, get me back to my own home, take me home and whatnot, you know, then maybe I can give you uh, a, a way that you can get rid of this leprosy. No question about that at all. And let's face it, without this little girl, there would, would there be no story to talk about. So isn't that wonderful that we see at the end, this wonderful attitude of compassion, this attitude of mercy shown by this little girl. So I'm just going to finish now, uh, in, in, and uh, maybe a couple of things to think about. There's so many brilliant accounts, isn't there? So many brilliant stories in the Old Testament about, about God and the things God did and the things that affected God's people and so on. But these things, you know, they're not for our entertainment. It's not just so that we can enjoy a nice story uh, in the Old Testament. I'm going to read you 2 Timothy 3, a verse that you might be, or a couple of verses you might be familiar with. And I think this is, this is interesting. 2 Timothy 3 says this, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that starts off with all scripture. And the thing is, what, what we can learn from this is that all of scripture, all of those stories, some of them that, that really blow our mind, I think, sometimes in the Old Testament, all of the stories, they all point to the Lord Jesus, who, of course, we read about in the New Testament. But even we, although we read about him when he's on the earth in the New Testament, all of God's word all talks about and leads up to uh, Jesus and what that means. It's a lovely picture of our, uh, the compassion and the mercy that God shows to us. He gave us his only son, given to us by a loving heavenly father. And there on the cross, that's where, where Jesus said, Father, forgive them. So again, there's that lovely attitude of compassion and mercy. He didn't have to do that, and God didn't have to do that, but he did so because of his grace, because he loves us. You know, God healed Naaman. That same God can heal us, can save us from our sin, all because Jesus took our place in terms of the punishment for our sin, and he died for us on Calvary. So, Derek and I are just going to sing uh, another song and then we'll sing a couple of songs together as well. Thank you, Derek. <coughs> You'll probably be... I don't know where I put that. Where I put that. Probably back in my pocket. No. I've lost me thumb pick. Who's oh there it is. <laughs> you might be um, familiar with uh, this tune, uh, but maybe not the words. But again, somewhere uh, a, a lovely piece that that focuses on the events of Calvary. Was his love for me that nailed him to 
the tree to die in agony for all my sin for my own blame the Savior came willing to bear the shame of all my sin so to Calvary's hill one day the Lord was led away none else the price could pay for all my sin on the cross he was slain and when dying in pain felt the bitter stain of all my sin. Was ever love so strong? Was ever crime so wrong? When Jesus suffered long for all my sin, he saw my need, became friends indeed through him I have been free of all my sin so to Calvary's hill one day the Lord was led away none else the price could pay for all my sin on the cross he was slain and when dying in pain, he felt the bitter stain of all my sin. Lovely words and uh, that reflect on just what went on, the event of Calvary. <clears throat> um, there was loads of other songs I had there. Love to, to uh, sing with you, um, but we haven't got time really <laughs> to do an awful lot. But what we'll see on your sheet there, you'll see what a friend we have in Jesus. I thought we'd pick out maybe one verse, one little bit of uh, three very well-known hymns. You'll see what a friend we have in Jesus. I will cherish the old rugged cross, and then then sings my soul. So shall we stand and sing these? Is that all right? Yeah, we'll sing these together. What a friend we have in
So we sing one more, and you'll see on your, on your sheet there, um, there shall be showers of blessing, this is the promise of love. And again, you'll see it goes straight into, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. The other two verses are overleaf, incidentally. Okay? See how we get on with this one. Lovely, lovely hymns to just finish this time. Okay? There shall be showers of blessing. This is the promise of God. There shall be seasons refreshing. Sent from the Savior of Ah! Uh -huh. 